Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Uh, there's some things um, that we might look back and go, man, this was hard. And maybe we're even, as we reflect on that, still wrestling with how do we, we're, we're wrestling with still kind of the, I don't want to say the consequences, but like the fallout from all of those things. Maybe we're still trying to wrestle with those things and we find ourselves in that spot maybe today. But if we were to look back and actually take an accounting of most of our time, maybe this is just me, I don't know, a lot of it would be ordinary time, right? Just life as usual. We go through, we've got the things we do, and a lot of our time is filled up with those things, work, uh, spending time, you know, completing tasks that we know we have to do, and those things, and time just kind of keeps marching forward. Uh, We often take assessment of where we are now. But the other thing we like to do at New Year's is what? We like to look forward, right? And we like to set goals and resolutions. We resolve to do some things, right? We're looking to improve on what we perceive maybe to be lacking in our lives, right? We desire some sort of change, um, whether that's uh, physical, right? We might be like, I'm going to diet, I'm going to exercise, right? These are good things to take care of what God has given us. Uh, maybe we want to read that stack of books that's on my nightstand, right? Um, we want to read more. Maybe there's some skills and hobbies we want to pick up. Like, I've always wanted to do this thing, or I want to get better at this. And so we resolve to do that. Often there's things related to our faith, too, right? Like I uh, was mentioned, like we want to create some spiritual habits. Like, let's, I want to read through the Bible. I want to read more. Um, and I would, again, point you to some Bible reading plans that are back there. There's some great resources online for that, too. Um, we want to encourage those things, right? We often start with good intentions and a lot of zeal, if, at least if you're like me, but don't always succeed, Right? And part of it is, I wonder if we don't prepare well enough, at least for me, like on what that looks like to get there, <laughs> to reach the end goal. And sometimes what is the end goal? Or maybe there's times where we reach that end goal and we go, okay, well then what's next, right? Does that goal satisfy me deeply, right? And a lot of our goals, at least if I'm, again, being honest with myself, are to improve myself, um, how I perceive myself, how I think others perceive me, right? We're trying to make a better version of ourselves. <laughs> um, our texts that we're going to look at today, I think, challenge that, at least for me, <laughs> again, uh, on what that looks like for us to set goals looking towards the future. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And we'll be in verse 1 to start with. Um, a little bit of context. Um, The author is reflecting on life and life's meaning and purpose and uh, uses this phrase throughout the the book uh, about it being meaningless. Like, and sometimes we're like, man, that's really a bummer. But really kind of what he's talking about is it's kind of this um, hard to grasp is kind of what he's saying. It's life's purpose and meaning is hard to grasp, like a cloud and you can see it, but you can't exactly contain it, right? You can't put your finger on it and hold it down. Life's purpose and meaning is kind of like that. We kind of have this sense that it's, there's a purpose, but it's hard for us sometimes to put our finger on it. And so he says, man, it's, it's difficult. But there's these moments where the author points to meaning being found in trusting God, even in the midst of uh, difficult to discern purposes or difficult life events, uh, that we trust God in the midst of all those things. And our passage today is one of the most well-known parts of Ecclesiastes, um, especially for those of you of a certain generation 
who might remember a song by the birds called Turn, 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 whose lyrics are taken directly from this uh, for the most part. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. It says there's a time for everything, the good, the bad, the ordinary, everyday life. Um, what's interesting is there's 14 pairs that the author lists here, um, which would make 28 items in the list. And for the Jewish people, they kept their time on the lunar, count by the cycle of the moon, which lasts for 28 days. And so it's like the author is saying, this is how we mark time, is that these things, these type of things happen in life. Right? Uh, they're all verbs, but there's actually no objects of the verb. Right? I don't know if you noticed that. Like There's these actions, but there's nothing that's being acted upon specifically in there. So sometimes, maybe we're the ones who are doing the acting in this list, that we're the ones doing the action. Other times, we're the ones receiving that action. Right? Um, we know that this is just kind of how life is. It starts with a time to be born and a time to die. Right? We mark time. We've welcomed several new babies into our congregation, which is a joy. Right? But we also know that as a church family, we've had to say goodbye to some people in our church and in our families. Right? Um, the next one is to plant and then to pluck up what is planted. Right? There's a time where we are putting something, we're doing work to say there's something we're hoping is going to come up and produce fruit later on. There's, right, we're doing this work um, and there's a time for that, for us to say yes and hope we're planting these things uh, that we hope are going to come. But it says, too, there's a time for those things to be plucked up, that that happens in life, too, right? That there's things that we have put in all the work and we are hoping and making plans and doing this, and then it doesn't happen, right? Or it changes, um, right? And that happens in personal life. That happens in church life, in ministry, right? That we have plans and we have these visions of things we want to do, and sometimes the time's not right, Right. This is how life is. Right. There's again these opposites, kind of these maybe I don't want to say extremes, but a lot of life is in between these things. There says war and peace. We know that this is how life is. And the main point being that there's a time for everything. Things happen in different seasons of life, 
But what the author, I think, is also saying is that it doesn't always stay that way, right? That things change. That the only thing that seems to stay the same is that things change. In verse 11, I'm going to pick up on that here. It says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Right? That these seasons of life we go through, that God is aware of each of them. That he has purposed to make all things beautiful in its time. It says, too, that he set eternity in men's hearts. Right? This longing for something in the future, that hope that we have. And kind of the idea here is that for us as humans, God has set this ability in us to look back and say, so what has happened? And how can I discern what was going on there? And how has it led me to where I am? And as we look forward and say, God, what are you doing in the future? Yet that we can't quite fully discern, right? We can't put our finger on what God has done. We don't always see it, don't always know. And we can't always go, yep, this is what I know God is going to do in these ways in the future. But we thirst and we hope for all things made beautiful in their time. As we think of the future, we're going to turn to Revelation 21. And this is a vision that God has given to the Apostle John regarding kind of the mystery of things to come. Right? Again, an idea, but not a we've got our finger on it fully type of picture. And right before the section we're going to read in chapter 21, uh, it describes the defeat of Satan, the great white throne judgment where the book of life is brought out, and everyone whose name is written it is uh, is heading into everlasting life with God, but says that all the dead are judged according to what they've done. We're going to read in Revelation 21, uh, the first six verses. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Describes a new heaven and a new earth, right? He says, I see this new heaven and this new earth and that the sea was no more. Which is an odd statement to think about, like there being no water, right? No sea. Um, and what it is uh, probably going on here, because just a little bit later in chapter 22, it's going to talk about a river and this thing. It's not that water is gone. It's talking about former things passing away, right? We get that at the end there in, chapter, uh, in verse 4. 
It says, for the former things have passed away, that things are no longer the way they were. Right? And the sea in Jewish apocalyptic literature often points to, it represents kind of chaos, uncertainty, and death. Right? Um, you think about in ancient times with the sea, not knowing what monsters live in the deep, um, the depth of that, the darkness, the storms that come up, the unknown, um, that that, it says, is done away with. And it describes the things, several of the things that were in our list in Ecclesiastes being wiped away, being no more. Right? The former things have passed away. It talks about this new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned all right, for her husband. And it's describing this marriage between heaven and earth. Right, That things are going to be different because why? God's dwelling place is going to be with men. Right? He's changing things. He's making all things new. I said he's making things beautiful in his, his time. God with us. Emmanuel. We just celebrated this at Christmas, right? That God came in the person of Jesus Christ to be God with us. And we hold and affirm and celebrate that that has changed everything. Right? That there's a way for us to be right with God because Jesus came. This is our hope. And not only in that coming, but also we trust that Jesus is coming again because that's what he said he would do. Right? That he's coming. And it's going to be like it was in the garden when there was this communion between heaven and earth. And God came and walked with Adam and Eve. And things were perfect. Right? And Adam and Eve had work that they did in the garden to care for it with joy. It says things are going to be different when Jesus comes again. Right? The tears are wiped away. Death shall be no more. And as place there's new life. No mourning. It's turned to dancing. No crying, right? Weeping is turned to laughing. No pain because we're healed and made whole. He's making all things new. This is what God is doing. And he says, write this down. (laughs) It's done, right? It's done because he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega from the beginning to the end. That's the purposes of life that we look at as a cloud and we can't seem to discern. God says, no, I know all of those things and they're in my control and I have purposes. And then he says to the thirsty, we'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This would have let John's readers think of Isaiah 55. They wouldn't have called it 55, but anyway, of this part in Isaiah where it talks about springs of living water and coming to buy without cost, right? Going to the thirsty without payment. So let's look at Isaiah 55 because they would have heard Isaiah 55 and then begun to think what comes right after those statements because that water without payment is right at the beginning of this section. And they would have begun to probably fill in what followed. And we're going to read all of Isaiah chapter 55. (laughs) It says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commanders for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It begins with this, come, everyone who is thirsty, buy without cost, right? Which is a weird statement to buy, even though it's free, <laughs> right? As it was what it's saying is it's a gift, right? If we were to get something without payment and receive it, it's a gift given to us. This water that satisfies and there's this line in there saying, why do you spend for that which does not satisfy? Right? That we spend a, a lot of, again, speaking to myself here, a lot of time chasing after things that aren't going to ultimately satisfy. Right? I think partly because they don't always line up with God's kingdom priorities. Right? What am I chasing after? And am I coming to just rest at the spring of the water of life, right? Is that where I'm finding my thirst satisfied? He says to incline our ear and come to him, to thirst for him, to listen to him, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come seek Jesus. And then there he says that God's thoughts are not like our thoughts, right? That we don't see the whole picture, right? These seasons and moments of life, because again, we may look back and go, or maybe in right now, seasons where we go, God, how long? Right? God, do you know? And God, if you do see me, how come this hurts so bad? This is so difficult. God says, my ways are different than your ways. <laughs> and that I send out my word, and it has purposes that will be accomplished, right? Do we trust that God sees us and knows us? And that he knows the beginning from the end. 
And it says that we will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That there's this reversal of things that happens like we read about in Revelation 21. And I love the last little line, the last stanza there. It says, it shall make a name for the Lord. Right? That it's not about us. It's about him. An everlasting sign that will not be cut off. Right? That this is what lasts is bringing glory to God, that when we go out in joy and be led forth with peace, when all of creation is singing God's praises and pointing to Him, right, that that makes a name for the Lord. See, God is making all things beautiful in His time. And our purpose is to glorify God, to be listening well to what He's saying, which I believe is revealed in the person of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, Creation speaks to it. God's word is pointing right, to what we need to listen to, revealing who God is. And then, as it said in Ecclesiastes, we have work to do, right? It says, take joy in the work that God has given you in every season of life. And it says to do this as long as you live. We take joy in the work that God has given us. So what is the work God's given us? Is where we'll end. Matthew 25 is where we're going to go. Matthew 25, and we'll pick up the reading in verse 31. I mentioned earlier that in Revelation 20, it talks about this judgment, the great white throne judgment. It says that there's uh, each person is, is judged on what they have done um, on earth, this earth, right? With the broken, not quite right, so all these different seasons of life. And I'll be clear that this is not, um, I think this judgment is talking about like, what did you do with what God has given you? The, the moments, the seasons of life that God's placed you in and the work that you have that is before you there. I think salvation is not found in the works we do, Right? Right, that we are saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, but that it doesn't end there, right? That we have things in these seasons of life that God desires for us to do. And then Matthew 25 is kind of a, Jesus told some parables, and then he tells this here. And we're going to read, uh, starting again in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me." Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Among other things that are in there, right? And there's these two groups of people. and Pretty much the same words are spoken, um, but with some slight differences, right? The righteous, it says, did what was good, right? They cared for the least of these. What I find interesting is they didn't even necessarily know that they did it. <laughs> right? They said, when did we do this? To you, Jesus. Like, we know, I imagine they were like, well, we know we kind of did these things, but when was it you, Jesus? And we did it. He says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Right? It was just part of their lifestyle, I think, to be with the least of these, to have this downward service bringing new life to others, right? It was other-oriented. And to the unrighteous, they didn't act when the opportunities were there. They said, when did we see you, Jesus, right? Almost as if they were saying, but Jesus, if we'd have seen you there, we would have done it. Right? But they didn't. I don't think they were recognizing that image of God in each person. Right? That each person is loved by God. So I think this is the work that God's given us to do in every season of life. And as Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 said, joyfully and as long as we live. We serve others, right? And bring glory to God by so doing. So as we head towards the end here, are you thirsty for more? Maybe there's some here today that you're thirsty and longing for answers and a purpose for life. It's been placed in your heart, but you can't quite put your finger on it yet. I want to invite you to find your thirst quenched by Jesus Christ and by Him alone. Right? This is the good news, that God came to be God with us in the person of Jesus Christ, that He demonstrates His love for all of creation in coming to be God with us. That our sin and our brokenness, a breaking relationship with God, is what brought death and weeping and the breaking down that it talks about in these seasons of life. And that we cannot work to overcome that, right? It's not about us working to go be with God somehow. The gospel tells us that God came down to us. Right? That's the picture we see in Revelation when things are made new, right? Is that God 
is coming to be with us. He's taking up dwelling with us. And that Jesus has reconciled us to God through his life, death, and resurrection. And that everyone who places their faith in Jesus receives eternal life. John 7 is our last passage for the day. Verses 37, 38, and 39. It says, On the last day of the feast, and this feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is all about dwelling places. And anyway, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, come to me if you're thirsty, right? Buy without cost. It's a free gift. We find that we have our thirst satisfied and we have this new life in him. And I just want to invite you to that. It's not my invitation. It's Jesus saying, come to me all who are thirsty. Right? And find ourselves satisfied in him. It's as simple as saying, God, I know that my longings that I have need to be met in you. God, may I find my purpose in you. Would you please forgive my sins? And I want to walk with you and not away from you. But it doesn't end there, right? In the John passage, it says that out of, as we receive that water, out of our hearts flow rivers of living water. Right? Then we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to become dispensers of this life-giving water Right? As we love others and make a name for God. And we begin to pass on that which we have experienced. Um, I don't know about you, but like when you find something good, like I have a tendency to want to tell people, unless I'm not a fisherman, but like maybe not your fishing spot or your hunting spot, I don't know. But um, like a lot of things you want to pass on. Uh, I don't know, about a year and a half, two years ago or so, John and I went to lunch with a couple other pastors at Me Rancho. I don't know if you've ever been to Me Rancho, but like it's my new favorite. Um, we had it for a youth group, like Christmas party, $1 tacos. So good, right? That's one I'll pass on to you. The other thing we did at our youth group Christmas party is Tim Tam Slams. If you're not aware of what that is, you can ask one of our students that was there. That's something else that's too good not to pass on. So anyway, like when we find that, those things, we want to tell everybody about it. And that's what it's talking about there. May we pursue Jesus, incline our ear, listen to his word. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible, right? Um, to get to know who God is, right? I would encourage small group participation that was mentioned earlier too. This is how we pursue knowing God together, right? Not only do we do that individually, we need to do that together. So we get together and talk about what we're reading in scripture and how we can begin to see that at work in other people's lives too and how we pursue Jesus together, I want to encourage us to trust God that he is going to make all things beautiful in its time, that he is making all things new. That maybe you're in a difficult season of life or you know because of what we read in Ecclesiastes that eventually one will come. Know that God knows and he understands and he sees better than we do. And trust that he will work all things together for his good purposes for those who love him. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to promote some sort of prosperity gospel, health and wealth, that if you just do these couple things, that then this will happen. And what I'm promoting is, do we trust God? 
right? Regardless of our circumstances, do we just place our faith in him, come rest at the water? And then are we ready to partner with God in bringing that life-giving water to those in need? Can we begin to see Jesus around us? Right? Can this become our lifestyle so that at the end we're not like, when do we see you, Jesus? Or do we just go, yeah, this is what we do. Right? We want to serve others. But this type of work requires different priorities, different relationships. It's often unglamorous. It's other-oriented. It doesn't build and improve our brand or our kingdom. But it gives life to others in tangible ways that points to the new life that we have received through Jesus Christ. So are you thirsty for more? What does it look like for us to begin to pursue Jesus in this way? Not just as individuals, but as a church. What does it look like for us to be thirsty for this kind of more? Often it probably doesn't look like more. It probably looks like less (laughs) in a lot of ways. But it's simple, joy-filled work. I am with the quote that's often attributed to John Wesley, uh, who was an English pastor and evangelist uh, who led a revival movement and was part of the Great Awakening in the United States. It says this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Let's pray. Lord, you uh, give us a a thirst for you uh, to know you to to, uh, pursue you to incline our ear to hear you and God you're inviting us to come and find our thirst satisfied in you as a free gift how would you help us to rest in you, in whatever season of life we're in, trusting that you make all of those seasons beautiful in their time, and that, God, you make all things new. God, that our hope is in you, that, God, you uh, are going to change everything. God, we long for the day when you come to be God with us again. God, place in our hearts that hope and that longing for eternity. God, while we're here, in whatever seasons of life we're in, God, may we find simple, joy-filled work as long as we live. God, help us to be thirsty for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.